Hi, welcome to Tech Exchange. This is where we discuss the latest trends in technology and talk to movers and shakers in the AV and tech industries. Today I'm joined by our show regulars, Corey Moss, Johnny Moda, and we have Hope Roth today sitting in for Krista Bender. Hey guys. Our guests today are Ben Hackett and Alan Vecina from Jido. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor or about our sponsor. Uh, I'll be representing the sponsor today. Uh, Ingram Micro is sponsors for Rave Publications Radio, and Ingram Micro helps businesses <clears throat> maximize the value of the technology that they make, sell, or use with its vast global infrastructure and focus on cloud mobility, supply chain, and technology solutions. Ingram Micro enables businesses, business partners to operate more efficiently and successfully in the markets they serve. Find Ingram Micro at ingrammicro.com. And uh, back to you, Jane. Great. Thank you. All right. Let's start with our week of tech and review segment. So a lot of exciting things happening in the last couple of weeks. And I think, uh, Corey, you've got something on the home automation front. Uh, yeah, I found a little something. Uh, home automation, very, very big discussion these days. As a matter of fact, it looks like we're going to be talking a lot about home automation today. Uh, you know, in the uh, topics articles we found uh, a little, a little while back, I wrote a little something on Apple Watch um, uh, in Rave, something I called "New Model for the Device Driven Enterprise." where I talked about the use of watch, bring your own uh, wearable, as well as certain applications that were written for it. Um, the other day, I looked and saw an article in USA Today, is the smartwatch becoming a remote for the smart home? So it looks like Apple Watch, more than <clears throat> any other wearable these days, is being considered for numerous usages and now looking at smart home as well. So, uh, you know, and basically saying ever since the Apple Watch was released in April, smart home apps have been slowly trickling into the platform. Uh, last week, two more big smart home brands joined the bandwagon, um, August and Wink. So uh, looking at those two, and then, you know, it, they aren't, the first to roll out Apple Watch apps for the smart home. Uh, smart Things, Philips Hue, Lutron, Insteon, Alarm.com. Others can already be found in the Apple Watch store uh, or the Apple Watch app store as well. Uh, surprisingly, according to the article, smart home manufacturers aren't adopting Android Wear quite as quickly, uh, even though the platform, as we know, came out almost a year before the Apple Watch. So... You know, I find that to be interesting as well. Found another article on you know ten smart home apps that make you want the Apple Watch, or so it says. And you know, just a few of them. Alarm.com looks like a, looks like one good one. Lutron, who we all know in the AV industry, their Cassetta Wireless uh, for Apple Watch. I had looked at that a little while ago, and there are uh, some more. Um, and some that I'd mentioned as well. So, uh, yeah, I found that of uh, great interest where we talk about wearables and, uh, and smart home control as well. And what do you have on your wrist? Do you have a smartwatch? I do. It is not an Apple Watch, though. So you don't get to run any of those apps? 
Uh, I, well, no, I am not using any of those apps. <laughs> not at I, the can't, I can't get excited about the whole smartwatch thing. I, well, I can't even get excited about a regular watch and never have. So I, I don't know. Do any of you guys wear smartwatches or think about it for controlling your home? Uh, I wear a fitness watch. Oh, I tried that. It didn't work either. I wear a sundial. <laughs> Actually, I, it does wear a sundial. He lives in Seattle. Oh, my exactly. God. I was, um, he's retired now, but he's, he wears a sundial, and his, his expertise is in sundials. He put a, I think he put a sundial on Mars. On the is, he, is he on uh, LinkedIn? Because I would endorse him for that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wear a, a Fitbit Charge HR. Uh, I like it, but I, I don't think I want anything else out of it other than the fitness stuff. Because I use it to compete with my family. I win time. Uh, I use my Garmin VivoFit to compete with Johnny, and I always win because he doesn't actually have a fitness tracker. Yeah, I'm currently losing. <laughs> so I have like I have like a million steps on him. But after today, I will have something that'll be better than hope, just for nerd bragging rights. I don't know what it is, but it'll yeah. it'll be something sweet. You can look for it. I'm kind of of two minds about the Apple Watch um, because I actually very consciously take my phone and put it somewhere not easily accessible when I get home because otherwise I pay too much attention to it and not enough attention to my family. Um, but I also kind of like the idea of doing control of your house from it because I don't carry my phone around with me in my house. So uh, part of me doesn't want to get those alerts and would probably have to very actively manage them. And then part of me likes the idea of, um, you know, a lot of the iPhone apps are aimed at people who always have their phones with them. And a lot of women don't always have their phone out or in their pocket the way a lot of men do. So I feel like it, it actually gives you a better point of control for somebody who doesn't, who, who is forced to wear clothes that often do not come with pockets. Yeah. You know, I saw, an, I think it was like Shark Tank, because every so often I indulge in that guilty pleasure, that somebody was creating a, a way to unlock doors with by sending a key virtually through like an app on the iPhone, which I thought actually was a clever usage of an iPhone. I imagine they could do it with the smartphone as, or the smartwatch as well. You just, you know, hold it up and it scans, kind of like your keys to your office sometimes. That, that I kind of like, but I have a Windows phone, so I'm out of luck pretty much on everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, to, com to comment on the question that Corey posed is, um, well, I don't know if you, it was a question more so than it was a statement about uh, more apps going to the Apple Watch being it newer than Android Wear is not a surprise to me. I mean, if you compare Android to iOS, which apps typically go to the, which uh, software or device first? Almost 100% it's an iOS thing first. Why? more widely adopted perhaps. Um, I myself am a huge Google boy, if you will. But I mean, if you just base it off of, if we're just talking about Android, I mean, um, audio, video or automation, every app I've ever seen has always been specific to iOS first. The, the hugest rollout is deployed to iOS because there's a bigger user base. Um, we talked earlier briefly before the podcast, iPads, right? Most people probably have an iPad, if any tablet at all. Um, so why not deploy to the widest user base before the others? Um, as a control, maybe a few things. Here's what I have an issue with that, is you give someone control of one thing, 
and then they want to control everything, which is fine, but you put it on a screen that's that big, it becomes very difficult to find the one item that you want to do right this second. So your UI, it becomes very complicated because you have something the size of your thumb to, to, to scroll through and, and find, okay, where's the, where's the damn volume button? You know, how do I turn on my Blu-ray player? How do I turn on this? I want to control a building, a house, a hotel, whatever. It becomes very, very difficult. So if you give them a few, app, a few simple controls, a few years back, I, um, the Nano, the little square guy, there was a little wristwatch for that. And so I had been posed with, I want to, I want to use this in my house. Um, we have crushed or whoever, everywhere else. I want, I want to be able to control this, but they wanted to put the entire home on this little tiny screen. And I just said, I'll give you two options. You can turn on the, basically all your lights or a certain scene when you get home from the second you get in. And then once you get in, everything else is control based on the walls or the larger controls when you get in a few things, but not much more than that. So the, the ability to do everything from the smartwatch, I think is probably not the best idea in my opinion. Mm, that's a good point. Small screen. Good. Yep. Right. I, I totally, I totally agree with Johnny, and, and when it comes to why you would not be, why, why the Apple Watch is taking off more, I mean, I, I don't know it has anything to do with the user base necessarily. I think it's the quality of the apps, and I, I, so I've built an app for the, one of the Samsung smartwatches using the Tizen SDK, but as, if you're an Android developer and you have to go to the Tizen SDK, it's a pain. So the, their SDKs are not good, and developing for an Android watch is not fun. It's not as straightforward as it should be. Uh, I think, I think that's why you're seeing developers go for the Apple watch first. A, it's a better device. It's a more, it's a, it's a better quality device, but B like developing for it is much more straightforward than developing for this Tizen SDK where I have to go write a totally different set of code. The, the language that's used is different. The SDK is completely different than developing for other Android apps. Um, so, you know, from the, that perspective, I think that the, that's why you. That's why people are actually targeting the the Apple Watch first, is because the, the tooling there for the developers is better. Uh, just to just to go to Johnny's point about the you know small screen and core functionalities, I think that actually could be a great thing for home automation in terms of forcing people to think about what are the core things I want to do with my home, what are the things I want to automate. Um, I know that's something that I spend a lot of time on as a AV programmer is I was just telling a client the other day, it's actually harder to make a very simple touch panel than it is to make one that has a lot of options on it because you need to think about how someone uses the system. You need to think about what are the buttons I use all the time. And you know, a lot of people take the lazy way out and they just throw 50 buttons on a screen. Um, and you know, that gives you all of your options, but um, it's so much better to say, okay, these are the 10 things. I'm going to put them on a main screen. Then there'll be a more button. You can go in and change that there and you better not put a button on the more button that they use all the time. So I think if it forces, um, the people who are putting systems together to really talk to their clients and to figure out, okay, these are the things that are important, then that can actually improve the system as a whole. Yeah. Well, it looks like you're getting a lot of agreement from the guys in Seattle. <laughs> 
industry is is overly complex UIs. You have people who are, you know, they they build it, and so they're proud of what they built. They have look at all the cool things you can do. So they give you all the cool things you can do, but the user does not. I mean, they they don't care, and it's confusing. It's very confusing. So yeah, you should you should always always go for simplicity if you can like if you can in most situations simplicity is the right choice there's no reason to overcomplicate things and that's that's a big i think that's a big problem in the industry well and i i to be a good programmer you almost have to have no ego um where you you can't just say oh look at your touch your touch panel should completely not stand out it should it should look it should look very simple um and it should and and it should follow you know standards in terms of where you put the power button and things like that. You, a, lot, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people try to differentiate themselves and then it causes problems because really what you what you should be thinking about is your customer and what they need and how they're going to use it. Yeah, the ego part is the hardest part for Alan. <laughs> <laughs> well, Programming is fine. It's the ego. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I have that same problem, Alan. You know, you know what I did is I started installing a lot of home automation stuff in my own house, and then it's all very complicated. And my yeah. husband goes, I just want to turn the lights on. And then I get it all out of my system, and then yeah. I, yeah. our clients have very easy-to-use interfaces. Yeah. You know, that's eating your own dog food right there. Yep. Yeah. Plus, you got, I mean, it's your husband, so, I mean, that's even harder. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he he was like, I don't understand why you had to take all these perfectly working light switches and replace them with something else. I love you. I love and you. And then and then I gave him a good night button, and he was hooked. So. Is there a husband mute button on your UI? <laughs> no, no, but there is. A, the lights in the living room go off at eleven o'clock to remind him that he should probably go to bed. Uh, oh, I could use that. Did you tell him about that first, or that just happened? And he was like, "What is going on?" He's like, "Why am I in the dark?" <laughs> hey, Jane, why don't we give these guys a formal introduction? Before we you know, I'm enjoying this so much. I'm like, "Wow, you know the hazards of being married to a programmer. You just never know what's going to happen." Well, he's an IT guy, so he's always messing with the Wi-Fi. So he gets me good. Oh, oh my gosh! I, I smell a reality television show coming soon. Wow. Be the nerdiest reality show ever. But you know you'd have a really good audience, a very loyal audience. So, <laughs> all right, let's do a formal uh, introduction then of our guests. We have Ben Hackett, who's the COO and co-founder, and Alan Vecino, who's also the co-founder and the CTO of Jido, a new company up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And they make a software-based control system. So why don't you guys tell us a little more about yourself and your company? Yeah, so Ben Hackett here, uh, COO. So I do a lot of the outreach and uh, working with a lot of our customers. Um, and I came uh, with Cody, who's our CEO, who can make it today. Uh, we uh, used to do a lot of programming for, for Crestron AMX systems, a lot of uh, engineering as well. And then um, we decided that we felt like IT departments needed a little more love. So um, we decided to create a software-based control system. Um, yeah, so that's how I got started. Uh, I'm Alan Vezina, CTO. Uh, the nerd they normally keep in the corner and uh, don't let out. I'm just, I'd rather work. But uh, no, uh, so I'm a, I've got a traditional computer science background. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm an avid cyclist. I like coffee. I like beer. Uh, and I'm also a co-organizer of a local Python meetup. Uh, I'm very proud of. Uh, so, um, 
yeah. just got so, over a thousand members. Yeah, we got we just got over a thousand. I have eleven hundred members actually. Um, so, and I'm a voting member of the Python Software Foundation. I'm pretty proud of that too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just an all around nerd and software guy. Yeah, are you guys drinking Seattle's best coffee this morning? No, no, we're drinking Starbucks. <laughs> Starbucks, <laughs> but through a Camex. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. How many co-founders are there? Three. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, the vision for Jido and really what inspired this solution and, and, and what it does. So maybe talk in a little bit more detail about that. Yeah, totally. So um, originally, uh, we were building some online tools uh, that would allow you to deploy Crush Run code um, via a web browser. So you'd select the devices and then uh, you could download a configuration file to deploy to uh, the processor. And after building that, we were like, hey, you know, I think uh, there's a really good uh, use case here for IT departments and for integrators that are deploying a lot of the, of the same rooms who just need to be able to deploy a control system uh, that's, that's really quick and, and easy. Um, and everything we do is it's all software-based. So uh, it's a web server that sits on the network, communicates with the devices. Uh, it's all configuration. Um, and so after being in the industry for a long time, we were also really excited to have Alan because he's a full stack software developer. He's outside of the industry and, and really brings kind of an outside view uh, into the standards and, and ways that are typically done. So that's that's how, that's my take on how we got started. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I met these guys in Seattle when I moved here like four years ago. And, uh, you know, they told me about what they're doing and I was – Intrigued because I didn't I didn't even know anything about uh, control systems or AV in general. Um, you know, I thought it was very cool, and then I was asking more about their industry and how they work and the, their dev environment because I'm a nerd. Uh, and, and I just kept asking, like, okay, so you so you have to have a hardware processor, and why? Like, why do you have to have that hardware processor? You're talking over network, right? So why not just use uh, another language like maybe Python or JavaScript or whatever, and you can talk over the network with these devices, so I can. I can write a little JavaScript thing that talks to your TV. Uh, and Cody actually showed me the first prototype he had built of Jido. Uh, it was like four or five years ago. He showed me that. And it was like the second time I met him, he showed it to me. He had an iPad app that was had a server. There was a backend server written in JavaScript. And he was turning his lights on and off in his apartment. I thought that was really cool. Uh, so then we, we kind of hit it off over that. And then we started uh, hanging out on Thursdays. Had, we'd have a code night. And we would just like teach Ben how to learn how to code. And then we would start working on little projects and we decided to start working on this and then it kind of grew out of this little code night uh, and then we started doing like hackathons the three of us uh, and then we would we would we built a prototype and then it, it kind of just took off from there like oh this is really cool this is this is real we have a we have a software product that we can we can continue to build on we there's a lot there's a big future here for this so we got focused on this we quit our jobs and we started a company <laughs> last <laughs> August. why the name Jido? That's a great question. So J-I-D-O is Japanese for, uh, for automation. Uh, and so uh, I think that's really hits on a lot of our focus with, uh, with end users is making sure that we take care of as many actions as possible, make the UI and the experience as easy as possible. Um, and then also J-Y-D-O uh, was a four-letter domain that we could afford. Yep. Uh, and that was it. Yeah, the guys, we, we tried to buy J-I-D-O.com. Jido, uh, I think is correct pronunciation um maybe not i don't know uh but yeah we tried to buy that one they wanted a lot more money than the guy that owned jydo so we bought that one <laughs> and jydo was born 
Yeah. But hey, four letter domain name. That's awesome. So it's we work a great on origin story. A lot of tickets here in Seattle. Um, you know, typically, uh, you know, the, the folks we're working with um, are, you know, either integrators here or um, IT departments. And a lot of the tools we build helps with just, a, you know, quick deployment stuff. So that's, that's who we work with. So we're here in Seattle. We're doing a project in New York City right now, which we're pretty excited about. You know, I guess before getting to that and talking about jobs and quitting jobs, um, starting with you, Ben, uh, the, you come from the industry. Yeah. All right. And Alan's a, Alan's a different story, so we'll get to him afterwards. So your background coming uh, from the AV engineer uh, situation yeah. So, you know, tell us about that, how you started in the industry and progressed from there. Yeah, totally. So I worked with Cody um, at a, he had a software uh, or a um, uh, programming house for, for Crush on AMX. So uh, Cody and I were good friends. And so I worked with him doing, uh, you know, a lot of the engineering as far as like CAD drawings and going on site and doing a lot of troubleshooting. Um, so, you know, my, my experience is, is you know, a lot of out in the field work and, and just, you know, essentially putting these systems together. So that's really what's been interesting here is uh, tying those systems over into to a more software-based world, essentially. Um, and, and that's cool, too, is that I also, um, after working with Cody, I, I worked at Labkey Software, which is a traditional uh, software company, open source for bioinformatics, where Alan also worked. So I was also a project manager there. Uh, and so that was also a good experience to get both the exposure, you know, in, in AV and, and be in that industry and then to also manage products, you know, where, you know, you have a release cycle, you have uh, a staging environment, you have, uh, you know, the kind of uh, uh, just traditional software approach, which has been really cool too. So where Alan is the extremity of a software person, uh, I like to think of myself as, as being able to span both of those, those worlds. Good. Yeah. Well, given that you come from the the background of integration, what what do integrators need to learn to work with your product? They have to learn new skills. Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think what's so helpful about I mean, AV is just such a complicated like animal. You know, you <laughs> think about all the different varying protocols, the different manufacturers. You know, you go into a room where an architect has built this beautiful glass conference room and you go in there and you know, no matter what you throw at it, uh, you know, it's going to be really difficult to actually have a conference. So I think the skills and abilities in AV, that experience is just so, so priceless. And that's where we rely so much on our integrator partners to do really good work uh, in that aspect. As far as learning the product, you know, I think... Uh, the biggest thing is being able to communicate with IT departments and making sure that there's a crossover here. So, you know, knowing what JSON is or knowing what Python is or, you know, knowing how the network is going to be structured. And now with that, uh, as I hate to say, convergence, uh, you know, that's more and more a, uh, a, a reality for, for AV. Hmm. Yeah. Aren't you guys the embodiment of IT AV convergence? We, we are I post AVIT post modern art. We're post AVIT converters. We'll we talk. Do. We'll talk about that later. We're the brainchild of that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alan. Uh, 
Ben said such nice things about you. Um, <laughs> the, same, the same to you, what I had uh, said to Ben about background, and also uh, follow up with that with the answer to Jane's question as well that she just asked Ben. Uh, I want to hear your side of the story. So you want to, my, so my background is a traditional computer science background. I went to school, learned how to code. I have, I, I, I graduated. I got a job at this company called Black Key Software, a company that Ben briefly worked at with me. Well, not briefly, it was, it was a while. Yeah. Um, so uh, I moved to Seattle. I got a job there. I was producing open source software for uh, scientists and researchers. So I worked with, with a lot of scientists, a lot of researchers, and my primary job with, was working with these people to take, they have a lot of machines. It's, uh, and that, that are processing data, right? So they have these machines where they have goop goes in, data comes out, right? That was like you have a dropper and you put it in the machine and it gives you gigabytes of data. And then my job was to take that data, clean it up, put it in a format that was generally usable, and then let you analyze it, organize your data, and share it with other researchers that you, you worked with. And so I help people with like tuberculosis, HIV, uh, diabetes, um, malaria, malaria uh, Ebola. Actually, one of the one of the bigger Ebola papers that was published during the whole Ebola scare was done by a lab that I worked a lot with. Um, and so, uh, my yeah, so my expertise is in the is, as as a full stack developer was just getting that data off of machines, putting it in a database, and and then also visualizing that data. So that's that's my background, and it's 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 pretty similar to AV. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I mean these scientists are dealing with many different protocols, many different data formats, a lot of dirty data. And my job was to put it in a format that they could use and normalize that data, so they could actually compare data across different types of machines and across different participants and studies and and stuff like that. And so that that actually has a lot of you know there's a lot of crossover between these fields. Although you know none of it is turning lights on or off, right? But it's it's turning genes on or off. It's 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 doing research with with you know medical data. So that's that's my my background. And then I I actually briefly poached uh, we poached I poached Ben from Cody's company, and then uh, that was apparently a long con. And then Cody poached <laughs> like Cody poached us both and just to quit our jobs and start. So there was a that was a long cut. You guys, I, props to you guys. Um, yeah, that's that's my background. Not 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 much in AV, but but in a similar world where you have a lot of disparate protocols and, and they need to be, you know, kind of combined and shared and, and normalized. So, so less lights and AV and more life saving. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that was a job. It was easy. Like it was really nice to work at that company because it was a it was open source software that researchers could have for free, and b you know you could go home at night knowing that like there was some guy that depended on your software and he was doing something really really cool. Are you saying we're not saving lives? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, no, uh, but I yeah. used to like you, Alan. I used to. <laughs> <laughs> could have been friends. We could have been friends, but you had to go and make fun of my lights. And there could there could have been a lot of good nerding going on here. You know? It's over the sandwiches, the beer, the pie. It will ne it will never converge. Started <laughs> so, strong. So you know we are going to have to talk about Twitter because uh, Hope, as everybody know, being at beer and pie, and Alan being at fancy sandwiches. I guess he'll have to tell us the background about that. Wow. Um, but be before we do, Alan, so the question that Jane had posed to Ben about integrators, and if you remember it, you know, I want to hear your perspective. So, yeah, so what, what skill, do you have to learn new skills to your system, right? That's the gist of the question, right? Yep. 
Yeah, so I would answer no. You can start using Jido tomorrow and you don't have to learn any new skills other than how to use our platform, our, our, like our user interface to set up and configure a room, which you guys saw, and I'm, I'm pretty proud of the user interface. I think it's pretty intuitive. Um, other people will see when we, when we launch on Tuesday. Um, but, uh, so no, I think you can start with that. Um, it, it, when it comes to that, you, you still need all the skills you have as an AV integrator. You need to know that you, how to set up the IP addresses on the device. You need to know that you have to go to the TV and tell it to use the, you know, the pot, not, not to put in power saving because the network card is going to turn off or whatever. And all, all the skills you have as an AV integrator, uh, and as an AV person in general, uh, you still need, right? And this is still an AV product. Uh, when it comes to developing uh, drivers and software for our platform, you would have to learn Python. Uh, we don't have those APIs open yet, uh, but with our, like I was telling you earlier, we're, we're going to have an open API where developers could could produce their own drivers, could produce, could customize the system and, and do what they want. But uh, yeah, so, uh, but no, right now you could start using Jido tomorrow and not have to learn any new skills other than how to use our admin panel, which I think uh, is quite frankly, is, is pretty intuitive. And, and one benefit is if you learn Python, uh, you know, then if you want to go work at Google and make $200,000, get to go. Or you want to have a fun weekend project, you can write anything you want in Python. It's great language. Yeah. Or, you know, develop some additional skills as an integrator that make you more valuable. Yeah. With, with Python, one of the cool things you do is you can use it to automate almost anything you want to do, not just AV stuff, right? So if you, you're writing AV software in Python, but it's a, it's a very valuable skill, you could use it to automate other parts of your, your job. And I, I did it all the time at my last job. It was, it was mostly a Java house, but I wrote a lot of Python scripts to automate my workflows and do a bunch of work on my behalf because, well, I'm a programmer. I'm a little lazy. I don't want to do all that work. And why should you, right? And you can use something like Python to automate a lot of workflows, a lot of things you're doing. And I was taking, I used some Python scripts to take this one scientist workflow. It was, they had an eight hour workflow. I took it down to literally 30 seconds. An eight hour workflow to 30 seconds. And in AV, we were having a conversation uh, with someone who manages over a thousand rooms and uh, globally. And one of the questions was, you know, could, could I write a script essentially to set up uh, all the IP addresses of, of the devices uh, on the Jido end of things, but you know that's something you can do, right? You can you can build these tools within uh, within a programming language like Python to automate those workflows and just get it done super quick. Yeah, that's uh, so. Maybe we talk a little bit about the user problem, you know, that really started or created the need for your product in the first place. I mean, what is that and is that influenced by millennials or the different way people use devices now? Um, I, I wouldn't say it was influenced by millennials or the way people use devices. I would say it was, it was influenced primarily because we were going on jobs. Well, I, I wasn't, but Cody and Ben were going on a lot of jobs and seeing a lot of um, panels that were programmed that have like Hope was saying earlier, like a lot of knobs and buttons that just don't need to be there and what in, in overly complex UIs, they're, they're confusing the users. And then at certain organizations, you might deploy a crash run system today, six months from now, you have budget for your other room you're going to upgrade, but that crash run programmer that you had hired or, or, or AMX or whatever, he's not available. So you hire a, another person in the industry to program a panel and you're, you might end up with a panel that looks totally different. 
Now, now plenty of organizations standardize and have a set of tools that are, are there so their UIs look the same, but it's a problem all over where you have these multiple control systems with totally different UIs and with too many buttons on them. They're not simple enough, and that's very confusing users. And that has nothing to do with your age. It has nothing to do with being a millennial or not. It's confusing for everyone, millennials included. And so what we've done is, is built a framework that makes it easy for us to generate these very simple UIs that are very intuitive and user-friendly. And I think that's very important. I mean, the, the user experience could use a lot of improvement. And, and what we need to do is focus, as AV programmers, you need to focus on making something that's very easy to use that someone can just walk in and start using today and not have to worry about learning that system or going to another conference room and have to learn a different system. That's not fair to the end user, right? And so okay, that's so so Jido is a simple to easy or simple to learn software-based solution. Yeah. Uh, automation solution uh, for integrators. And there's not really much to learn other than what we saw earlier. It looks like a pretty straightforward um, other than some drivers that need to be written in um, Python and sure. or JSON, correct? And some CSL formatting for customization. Yeah, uh, launch. Um, what about costs and um, what's your business model? How does that work? It's a great question. Yeah. So uh, I'll be part of the launch on Tuesdays uh, announcing how, how exact specifics on pricing, but it's on a per device per month uh, basis. So cost ends up being, uh, you know, about, you know, a fraction, a third of a traditional control system. So it's a SaaS model, which is, uh, you know, a new way to look at the AV industry, really uh, hopping on this, uh, the process of providing services for folks. Um, so, yeah, that's how, that's how we, we price it. Yeah, so like you were saying, it's, it's, a, it's a SaaS model. It's, you calculate the price based off of how many devices, connected devices you have. So it does not include your control surface. You can have as many iPads as you want. We don't charge for that. What we charge for is per connected device that we're talking to over the network per month. That's how you calculate it. And then we typically bill it annually, but if you wanted to fit it in more of your, your cap budget instead of your operational budget, you could bill it in a five-year span or, or six years or whatever your refresh rate is. So we still fit within your, your cap budget. We can still make it fit the way you would purchase a traditional uh, control system. But if you wanted to, if you wanted to bill it uh, you know, monthly or, or annually, we could do that as well. And in the benefits you get with our system, it's a SaaS model. And as a result, it's a piece of software and we're issuing updates all the time. So, you know, you're getting the benefit of having this, this living ecosystem and we're constantly improving it and constantly adding drivers and you get those drivers. So maybe I don't have a, a driver for the newest stamps on TV today, but I could have it tomorrow. And when I release it, everyone gets it, right? So you don't have to hire a, a programmer necessarily to do it. And, you know, if your TV dies and you buy the newest Samsung one because there's a good deal on Newegg or wherever you buy it from, there's, there's no issue. Like, Jido's going to see that TV. It's going to treat that TV like it would treat any other TV. And all you have to do is change your IP address in, in Jido, right? Uh, another thing that's interesting uh, in that front is that I know programmers don't introduce bugs at all to their code. But hypothetically, if they did, one benefit is that because Jido is software-based uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a platform, is that any any bugs that get introduced when they get fixed? They get fixed forever. It's not a it's not a custom deployment. Uh, it's something that uh, all the all those issues get resolved through essentially herd immunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So is this a completely cloud based system? What happens if your uh, no, corporate no, network no, goes down? Not not cloud. Uh, there is a cloud component for us to issue updates in drivers, but the actual software is run on premise. 
we originally did play around with running in the cloud, but performance is, is a total no-go running in the cloud. When a user hits a button to turn their TV on, they wanted to turn on now. And they want to turn on, like, now means like in a matter of milliseconds, not in a matter of seconds or, or minutes. And if you're operating on the cloud, there's going to be way too much latency for that to happen. And there's just too many points of failure. So it's an on-premise solution, but we do have a cloud component for you to issue updates and new drivers and things like that. And updates are, are, are by choice of the IT. We don't, yeah. we don't push those updates. Right? Yeah. Okay. How do you see your solution coexisting with traditional solutions that are already out there? Do you see a role for both? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I think we do see a, a role for both. You know, what we're focused on right now, what I would say are niches, is conference rooms or conference room situations. So a classroom would be a good example. We, we could work with classrooms. Uh, we're, so conference rooms, classrooms are, are, are basically what we're focused on right now. If you have like a really complex like ballroom with a split room situation, very complex programming, that's going to be a very custom interface, right? That's going to be totally custom. And that's not really what I would call a bread and butter. Um, so I would, you know, that, that would be a good example where you'd still use a traditional control system. But what we're good for are these, you know, very repeatable systems where even if it's not the same hardware, it's basically the same user scenario, same use case. And room to room is going to be largely the same, even if it's a projector or a TV. Uh, and that's, that's what we're good at. We can crank those systems out. We can have those systems up and running in a matter of minutes, not hours, not days, not weeks or months. And I think that's where, that's where we're, we're our niches also where you know you talk with an I and you know for a large of these larger companies they have an AV manager on staff so giving them the tools uh, if, if needed uh, to at least be the first round of defense for any issues that that, that arise <clears throat> so we talk a lot or we have on this show at least about Internet of Things which we know is one of Johnny's favorite topics this whole idea that at some point Everything is going to be connected. Where do you guys weigh in on that? Where do, where do you see, you know, our you know our world going, our homes, our, our businesses going in the next five years, in the next ten years? And I know I tell you what, there were a couple of things we wanted to get to in terms of articles and all. Uh, that had something to do with uh, IoT smart home. Mm -hmm. so, oh, hey, listen, this is always on the tip of everybody's tongue. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about it. So one other thing, I, I listened to the last two podcasts. I know Johnny and, and Corey aren't, aren't too keen on the on the terms IoT, but I actually like it is a bit of a buzzword. It is frustrating because, like Johnny said in the other podcast, like this is it's been like this for a while. IoT's already been here. It's just new to you. But I think it's actually very important. I think it's actually very good. It's, it's new. Yes, it's new, but it's it's giving uh, customers the tools to understand the problems we're solving. So this, yes, it's a bit of a buzzword, but it's very important. I think it's a good buzzword. I, I, I think I think it's like it helps customers understand the problems we're solving, and I think it's actually a good thing. It's like cloud. You yeah, know, like cloud is cloud. an annoying buzzword, yeah. but the it's point like, is that it allows people who aren't technical to understand the issues. And here, I think the issue is that these a lot of these devices are coming on the network, and they have an API, which is actually incredible yeah. that that's available. That you can say, "Hey, device, are you on?" You know, and it'll communicate back to you. Say, "Hey, this is my status. This is the network status?" Or you know, the super low. Uh, low-cost sensors, those being able to communicate in a system, and it's really just up to your imagination to make those connect. I think that's really the beauty of IoT, and, and, and yes, these devices used to communicate, and AV is a great place where, I mean, we say all the time, like, AV was IoT before IoT was a thing, but there is a, a need to uh, recognize that 
these things have expanded that now that you can you know integrate with services you can integrate with low-cost sensors and that's actually pretty incredible yeah and so for the next five ten years what do i see happening i see more and more devices coming online obviously everyone sees that but i also see a lot more competition in the field i see a lot more people there can be a lot more startups a lot more companies out there building these platforms that give you a contextual layer to your world you know, there, there was a, uh, there was, you know, everyone talks about Bill Gates, you know, years ago talking about how he could walk through his house and the room would adjust to his, you know, his settings, how he wanted it. He could have a digital picture frame on the wall and when he walked in, the Mona Lisa would be on it. But when someone else walked in, it would be a Monet, right? Uh, so, and that's something that's not really possible right now. Like I see, if you put a lot of time and effort in, you could build a custom solution that does that. But what you're going to see are a lot of companies building these these very smart layers built on top of the IoT to give you the context of the world around you and make the environment uh, react to you, right? So I think that's what we'll see in the future. Mm -hmm. And you'll see, less, you'll see less like iPad apps where I have to touch something to make something happen and a lot more just walk into a room and I have what I want happen. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's funny that you mentioned Bill Gates is because a uh, little fun fact, we talked about nerd credit earlier. Uh, Bill Gates and I shared about a combined uh, fortune of $80 billion. Oh, wow, cool, great. A little fun fact for everybody out there. Well, and another fun fact about Bill Gates and home automation is there's some famous story about how his lights were all automatic and then he had a party and everyone ended up in the dark. <laughs> so um, so even, even Bill Gates has to deal with this stuff. Maybe, maybe, well, it was a, maybe it was a hack. Who knows? And that's and that's why you hire an integrator, right? Is because somebody somebody like me knows that if the lights in the living room turn off at eleven o'clock every night, you need to have some way of turning that off when it's the Super Bowl. I, and I, I do think that in, in the meantime, in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a lot of growing pains. I think this is one of the articles we were supposed to talk about the home automation one and has the smart home bubble burst. And you know, the article says that the home automation, all the all those products were very hot last year and they're less hot this year. And it looks like maybe the bubble's bursting. But I, I don't think the bubble's bursting, right? But I think there's just a lot of growing pains. Right? There's a lot of com competition out there. Which product is the product I use? And then you go and get it right now as a home user. You go get a, a, a Wink or you get the other systems out there. And, and it's complex. There's a lot of setup involved. You don't want to do that. And you don't want to hire a professional because the product you bought – Promise that you didn't have to hire a professional, and you don't want to do that. It was not what you budgeted for. Uh, right. And so, you know, and the integrators, they would love to go install this stuff, but the home users, they, they were not promised that. So there's going to be a lot of, I think, growing pains, and, and you're going to see, you know, people talking about it. Is it going to, is the, yeah, like this article, you know, is the smart home bubble bursting? No, it's not. I think that what's going to happen is over time, you're going to see better and better products where, you know, my grandmother could install it, and it would work, and she's going to get exactly what he wants or she wants it's not that's not how it works right now but it will be there in the next five ten years i think you have a real stratification right now with the smart home um components where you have something like a nest which does one thing and it does it pretty well and it adds on to something that was simple but it doesn't add on too much and it doesn't take away from any of the core functionality or you have a fully integrated lighting system in your house where everything works together. And anything in that middle ground, I don't think it's going to work well right now um, because you're, you either have to keep something very simple because uh, I think that article said something about we need products that are as simple as a light switch. Well, what's the first thing that people start trying to integrate in their houses on their own are light switches, and they're already simple. So what benefit do you get from those light switches by having to use an app? Um, 
I have smart lights switches in my house and my husband was very hesitant about putting them in until I put in enough that we could have scenes or we could have good night buttons or we could have things that are automatic. My ceiling fans come on at about six o'clock every night if it hits 80 degrees at any point during the day. So that's the sort of like the GUI list interface that Johnny was talking about. And um, so that's a, those are all complex systems and they're things that I talked about. Um, but I think a lot of these products are trying to fit into some sort of middle ground where they're not super complicated, but they are still um, a little complex. And I think most people aren't ready for that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And here's another one in that we're talking about network issues too in this same article. Uh, suggests that network issues cause a lot of installation problems and largely because home networks are often not robust enough and, and, and or secure enough. So there's the other, uh, the other side of the coin is security. And, uh, and Johnny sent an article in today about uh, security flaws with Zigbee smart home devices. So there's the other side of the uh, situation in terms of security now which everybody has to keep this in mind when talking about IoT and smart home and connected things. Um, you know, this is a big deal now. Well, it's always been a big deal. I mean, well, if, not just now, it's always a big deal. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, but if we're talking about, you know, like security issues and network and things like that, IoT, the cloud, whatever, my favorite words, um, they, Everything lives on the network, right? So if your network sucks, the system sucks. It doesn't how it doesn't matter how well your UI is. You know, it could be the most beautiful, simplest thing in the world, and if your network crashes or they don't, it, it all lives on a, a horrible network. The the end result is that you have a, a system that doesn't work well because the network doesn't isn't set up well. Um, we talk about security and hackers and things like that. Previously, I mentioned you know, okay, uh, the smart car being hacked and things like that. That's fun. You know, you know, you can do one thing. Uh, we tested it, but honestly, if, if you're a, a true hacker, you're going to want to reach the network or the, the place that hosts all those people's devices. Why mess with one when you can mess with the entire network? So if you have a, ser a seriously sec uh, security flawed network, you're going to have issues from day one. It, you need to start with a, a solid network. That's the backbone of any any system. Yep. Uh, in, in a former life, I was uh, I was a salesperson and a, and a PC tech, and all I did was sell people computers, computer equipment, and repair their computers. And nine times out of and we sold a wide variety of really nice routers, but also some really cheap ones. And nine out of ten times, people bought the cheapest router available, and it was not a great router, but that's what they wanted. They wanted it now, and they wanted the cheap one. And it, you know what? It, that router worked in like two rooms in their entire house. You you're not going to get all that the, a wireless network everywhere, and then they would come later and complain. And it's like, oh, well, you know, remember when I told you you had a $120 router or a $30 router, and you chose a $30 one, right? Well, there, that's why it's $30, and that exists everywhere, especially in the home market. It's, it's like a, a corporation, companies in general, they have budgets, and they're willing to spend the money because if they don't spend the money on the good, on the good products – their business will suffer. Their employees will not be able to get the job done. And so they're going to pay a premium for good devices, good hardware, good software. But home users, they're, they're just going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And they'll, they're, they're willing to put up with a lot more than uh, a corporation would for, you know, different reasons. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, these home, the home network is going to be the first thing that needs to be solved. And that's going to take a while for people to understand that, I think. Yeah. You know, I still want to figure out 
how to connect my Windows phone, a Surface tablet, and an Xbox so that I can watch my cats at home when I'm at work. Because this IT guy at the Infocom show was telling me how to do it, and it was the most amazing thing I've ever heard. Like, his cats could jump up, and it would activate the Xbox and turn on a television show for him, and then at work, he could look on his Surface tablet and see the cats. I'm like, that's like the best use of technology I've ever heard. I didn't get his card, though, so I don't know how to do it. Uh, contact Sarah over at uh, Rave Pubs. I'm sure she has that guy's number. I know you're talking about. <laughs> she's working on the same project. <laughs> so. Jane, next time I'm in Utah, I'll help you set it up. Yeah. I feel like when you talk about technology, it's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's like seven degrees of cats where we're talking about home automation, AV systems, and then somehow you always got to get to cats. That's when you know it, it's a mainstream thing. Yeah. When people start building the technology for their cats. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I suddenly feel a burning desire to add some sort of cat automation to my home. <laughs> I'm just going to build a new app called Catsagram. Catsagram. <laughs> you know, you you sell quite a bit of it, so. I know a lot of people build, uh, take easy buttons, and we'll turn those into a controller because you just put, you know, some sort of relay into it. So maybe you could take an easy button and teach your cat how to hit the easy button, and I don't know what it would do from there, but. Or, or maybe you put RFID tags in a wiffle ball, and then you hide them, and then they get food that there way. There you go. <laughs> if you're really bored, you come up with stuff like that. <laughs> All right. Um, what kind of uh, what, why why didn't Jido go into the the home market, and are you planning on going into that? Uh, no, we're not planning, and the reason we're not in that market is because I mean, basically all the reasons I just said, right? The the the, the home networks are not, are not prepared for it. Home users expect, and, and I think rightfully so, they expect a product to be just like great out of the box. They're expecting an Apple-like experience by just going to the store and buying it and not having to do any work, which I would love to be able to provide. But right now, I don't think we could provide that type of experience for home users. And, you know, maybe, maybe if we find a way to do that, sure, we'd enter that market. But until then, you know, having the, the power and the, the relationship with AV integrators who can actually do all the, the really necessary work to get an AV system up and running, you, you, we, we, need, we need that. And, and, you know, we could, you know, you could say we could go for the high-end home market, but that's, that's, not what, that's not what we built the product for. We built the product because we were dealing with a lot of businesses and we saw these problems in conference rooms and we think that's a, that's a, good, that's a good market to start with. You know, also, you know, you if we have the uh, the ear of the IT departments as well, and you know, letting them know, you know, I, you know, people who have spent years and years setting up networks know their internal networks, you know, uh, top to bottom. You're just not going to find that in the home, and we feel like, uh, you know, it's just so important to guarantee a certain experience, and that is through the help of integrators and and, and folks who administer the networks. Yeah, I think I think if, if this could be done today, the first two companies to do it would have been Google and would have been Apple. And they have not done it yet. They talked about, I mean, Apple has it's called HomeKit. Google's got Nest. They've got a whole IoT division, and they haven't done it yet. And those are probably the most capable companies out there when it comes to technology, and they have access to all their users in their phones, but they haven't built it yet. Why? Because it's it actually, it's, it's, it's a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. Well, and I think your 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 software works well because you're controlling one screen or two screens. You're listening to one thing. Yeah. But uh, as someone who works in the high end home market, I can tell you, people want one TV to show the football game. They want Red Zone on the other thing, but then they want to be listening to Spotify and 
that is where you get into complexity and the difficulty in making it simple. And that's why I do what I do because I am able to do that for them. But that's not something that uh, I think seems like it works in your wheelhouse, which is to take things that are relatively simple that other people have overcomplicated and strip them down back yep. to their simplicity. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So you guys have a launch on Tuesday? Is that uh, what I heard? Is this Tuesday? Yep. So, so uh, tell us about that. Yeah. So champagne um, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah. So basically, we're doing uh, announcing uh, uh, some pricing and then uh, updating just to include uh, all the details for dealers and partners uh, and just updating more information and and just really just announcing the fact that that we're available and and just you know it's just a big big launch celebration. Yep. Where should people tune in? Jido.com, uh, J-Y-D-O.com. Okay. Yeah. And, tech blogs and all that. Yeah, and the website is up, but uh, I am assuming it's going to be a lot bigger, bolder, and everything else come Tuesday. The, the website that's up there now is is pretty generic. It doesn't say a lot of much. It's, I mean, you, you can you can figure out that we're an AV control system and we're software based, but that's all you'll ever figure out on the website right now. And we did that on purpose. We you know we we wanted to make sure that before we were putting anything up there, we we were very clear about what we provide and comfortable what we can provide. And that took some time for us to build the product and get it where it's at and, and work with customers directly to, to build the tools that, that customers want, that customers need, and the user interface and all that. And now that we've spent a good, a good solid year full-time working on this, we feel very comfortable uh, you know, making certain claims and, and putting stuff on the website that we are willing to promise people. So and now that we're willing to promise, well, up on, 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 on Tuesday you'll see uh, a much more clear website that has a lot more information about what we do. And also, you know, that we have some customers we're really proud about. Uh, we've done photos and photo shoots uh, at their offices, and then also uh, they'll be, you know, featured on our website. So really excited to have those guys involved and, and have their support. Curious, right. were, you guys, were you guys at Infocom? No, we didn't go this year because it was in Orlando. So. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, you didn't make the cross-country trip. Or, or, Orlando in July, um, I, don't, I don't do well in for humidity. Yeah, the Northwest is so beautiful in the summer, yeah. it's, it's hard to leave. Give me, give me gray skies and like moderately temperature, moderate temperature. <laughs> I'm, I'm we'll so look for you in, in Vegas uh, yeah. next June. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's start our, our little lightning round of questions for you guys then. So I think uh, Corey and I will maybe tag-team you a little bit here where we like to ask you just a few questions. We just want little short answers to help us get to know you guys a little bit better. So um, I'm going to start. So why don't you guys tell me your favorite tech gadget or you can't live without tech gadget? Uh, yeah, I can start first. I think my favorite tech gadget is the Raspberry Pi, just hands down, just because uh, we just, uh, you know, we actually deploy on Raspberry Pis for, for some of our uh, deployments for smaller uh, smaller spaces. But also we just did a big uh, project. Alan and I were helping a friend who was, putting a bunch of sensors on his Raspberry Pi on a river here uh, in Seattle called the Duwamish. And he's taking sensor data from the river uh, pH water temperature. And he has these lights that fluctuate based on the health of the river. And just how quick and cool that was to get those sensors involved and to actually process that data and, you know, build them like an art project. Um, it's just such a cool, accessible tool. And also the idea that people um, can spend $35 and learn how to program in other parts of the world. So cool to me. 
Yeah. Answer's probably a little bit more boring. I can't, I really can't live without my laptop. I, I, I know a lot of people say their phone or whatever, but all of my job is done on my laptop. I take it everywhere with me. I'm constantly working. If I'm at a coffee shop, I'm working. If I'm at home, I'm working. So my, I can't live without my lap, my laptop. Kind of a boring answer, but it's true. <laughs> Yeah, it's good. Okay, uh, I've called it. AVIT convergence no longer exists. We're coming up with a new term. And uh, go, Penn. New term. What was the new term? Well, you, they were saying IoT AVIT. Oh, oh, oh. oh, no, no, this is up to you. What's the new term? AVIT oh. convergence is done. New new oh, term. Got it. Um, it's called IT? Yeah, it's called IT. No, it's called it's, technology. It's called IT? We didn't get subsumed. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of a lot of departments out there. They're AV. They had AV departments. They had IT departments, and now they're all under the umbrella of IT. So I don't know. I, I don't know. That I agree. I, I think they. I mean, I, I, I just don't think it's it's to be something we're scared of. You know, you know I'm not I'm not saying it's scared. What I, want, <laughs> what I say is I don't think it's be, like we as an industry should be really too concerned about because there's actually so much opportunity here, right? There's this opportunity of integrating with services. There's opportunities integrating with APIs. And we're always going to need the technical expertise of figuring out how all these devices communicate, how, uh, you know, how the network's going to be set up, installing them. And, like, it's actually just super exciting and super cool, you know? Like, and so, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, I think the new word is just, it's just IT. And I, IT is awesome. Don't, don't be ashamed. We, we, we need AV people in IT. We want you there. It's awesome. We do so much cool things. Anything you want to do, you can do in IT, right? You can, you can program it. You can, you can network it. You can do anything you want. IT is great. Be proud of that. It's awesome. I, got, I, I, I have a computer science degree too, okay? Yeah. And I got my start in IT. <laughs> so wait, we're calling it We Are IT? <laughs> I get the t-shirts printed. We are the t-shirts, the hashtag, everything. You guys go out with the hashtag. We're gonna do a song up. with a super group. Oh my! Maybe maybe Hope will do this song with you. Yeah, yeah totally. It's called We Are. I play the banjo, so. Wow, I, just, there you go. I just think saying we're technology is. That's fine. I can I'm I can cool live with that. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are the world now. You can just do. Well, it implies an expansion. It's not just mm -hmm. like oh. We had AT, AV and IT, they walked into a building and only, or into the ring and only IT emerged. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, you it, if you call it IT, it sounds like AV just sort of disappeared. And it, but it's more like the technology industry and it's like we took two things and we made them better. Yes. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Sure. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, we are awesome. technology. There we go. Awesome. Awesome. question for these guys? Oh, do I have a question for these guys? Yeah. Any random thing. Question. All what right. When when you guys are up late at night, about to push out a new release, what are what are you chugging? Is it Red Bull? Is it Mountain Dew? Is it Pete's? Is it Starbucks? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's generally Rainier, or, <laughs> or what they call it out here is Ranier. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's my that's one choice. I'm a coffee guy. I, I have a particular brand of coffee in Seattle. I do. I Bauhaus has a really good espresso blend. I don't have an espresso machine, but I like their espresso blend. I pour it through a Chemex. So I'm a coffee guy for sure. Also, Stumptown. Shout out to Stumptown. I like those guys a lot. So I'm guessing Ben uh, averages what two hour, two three hours of sleep a night, Ben or Alan? I'm sorry, Alan. 
Yeah. That was no, the coder. I, yeah, I, I don't sleep too much. I, I've spent many, many nights at the office where I've left at like four or five in the morning. And then I, I'm, I don't want to bike home since I've been working another 16 hours. So then I'll, I'll Uber. And then they ask me like, oh, okay, are you going to work? It's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving work. <laughs> but you have a night shift? Like right away I had a night shift. I also had a day shift. But yeah, uh, the girlfriend loves it. <laughs> <laughs> that picture of you on Twitter must be uh, like what two, three hours, uh, two, three days in a row without sleeping. Oh, yeah. That was actually me on vacation. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, this, yeah, this startup has done wonders for our relationships. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, if Krista was here, she would ask you guys one last thing. Uh, your yeah. favorite, uh, your favorite writer. Oh, uh, actually, you know, it's funny. I was, uh, I was question. just down in, uh, in California in Salinas. Uh, so I would, I would have to say Steinbeck is, is definitely on top of my list right now. Yeah. Uh, East of Eden. I think she'd like that. East of Eden. And that book just honestly brings me to tears. It's so good. Just mm. amazing, amazing, amazing. And, and I just love to like, uh, tortilla flats, just the way that, uh, like these guys who just get drunk but have like the you know the biggest hearts and somehow they have great intentions but it's always that they're getting drunk somehow in the process like that's me love that one uh, favorite authors are I'm just probably gonna say Steinbeck thanks Ben um, you got to someone else I'll, I'll, Paul Graham. I, I, I like Paul Graham I like his writing a lot Paul Graham's the reason I I decided to go into uh, computer science instead of marketing. But I think the, the book that's made the biggest impact on me recently was uh, Ben Horowitz's Hard Thing About Hard Things, oh, yeah. which is a fantastic book. I think it's a great read for anyone who is thinking about starting a business or has started a business already uh, or even just isn't in, interested in, in entrepreneurship in general. But the hard thing about hard things is like, that's my number one book of recent times. I really, really like that book. I powered right through it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm going to add that to the, the reading list. So. Yeah, you should definitely check it out. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I'll tell you what, this has been a great show. No question about it. Hope, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, she just had to leave us uh, for some other things. So I guess we'll wrap it up uh, right there, uh, Jane. Real good yeah. stuff. So yeah, thank you, Ben. Thank you, Alan. This is a terrific conversation. And yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. And, and Hope, if you're listening later, that was great to great to meet with you and talk with you. Yeah. I really enjoyed the conversation we had. Totally. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if anyone, if anyone has any questions or beefs or <laughs> you know whatever, like email my emails Ben at jydo.com. Alan's is Alan at jydo.com. And if you, you have know, beefs. Just, we're prepared. We yeah. have beefs at jido.com. Email us. We'll take them. Yeah. Okay. These guys will fill questions and beefs as, as well as if you have any creative sandwiches for uh, Alan to come up with, then go ahead and email those too. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so yeah, Hope was in for Krista Bender. Krista will be back next time. Krista's in Ireland uh, having a great time. So she'll tell us all about her trip next time. And, uh, yeah, again, Ben, Alan, thanks for being with us today. Uh, great show, Jane. And thank you all out there for listening. And we will uh, join you next time.